Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast NFC Preview Edition. I'm your host, Ian Hartz, and joining me, as always, on this lovely Wednesday afternoon, PFF's finest, Kevin Cole. Kevin, we just talked ASC, now we're talking NFC. Great day to be great. Yeah, yeah, now we get to the the, the loser conference. Oh. <laughs> Outside of the Eagles, I guess. Now, everyone else, I know, you got Aaron Rodgers, Hall of Famers, Tom Brady, yada, yada. Score some points, guys, come on embarrassing em- embarrassing embarrassing week of football do better be better let's let's all get it together we'll, let, let, we'll have a great show you guys go out have a great weekend of football we saved the best for first philadelphia eagles sitting at three and one of only two undefeated teams still remaining they look like the best team in the nfl with all due respect to miami just in terms of being a complete team offense and defense i would power rank the eagles one as i think many people have at this point but kevin like how long can this jalen hurts hot streak last you were talking in our afc pod a bit about regression and how you know saying someone's going to regress doesn't mean they're going to go from being the best quarterback in the league to being the worst but my goodness man 2022 so far Jalen Hurts, 9.3 yards per attempt. Last year, he was at 7.3. His adjusted completion rate has gone up nearly 5%. He looks like a different quarterback out there. And yeah, you add A.J. Brown to the offense, and you have this great offensive line, I believe number one in PFF pass blocking grade so far this year. It's been a great mix of Jalen Hurts playing awesome and everyone around him playing awesome. But how long can that go, at least in terms of passing the ball, Kevin? Because again, right now, nobody's been more efficient in EPA per play, both overall and per pass. I mean, I think it can last a while. What was the most encouraging thing that we saw last week is he didn't do much. What was it, 20 yards rushing, something like that? And yet he still got home big time with all of the passing. And it's not just like ability is part of it. You know, he's passing better than he ever has. Yeah, that's definitely part of it. But when you have A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, and Dallas Goddard. Dallas Goddard's like the sneaky, very important guy. I mean, talent-wise, he's right there. Uh, you know, it, maybe not with the top, top guys, but at least in that second tier. Uh, maybe a 1B type of tier when it comes to talent. When you have those three guys, lots of things open up for the offense when you have a quarterback who is executing well, which Hurts is doing. So I think that is probably the most important thing than anything. He can now get there through through the air. He can get there on the ground. Uh, he can do both at the same time, which gives the high, high-end outcomes. It's all of those combined, which is really making a fantastic season for him uh, and puts him in the elite. I think it's Josh Allen, it's Lamar Jackson, and it's Jalen Hurts right now. Those are the, those are the guys at quarterback who really stand out from everyone else. I haven't threw Hurts ahead of Lamar this week just because I think that Buffalo matchup a little bit tougher for Lamar, but I don't know. We did see Miami have plenty of efficiency in their limited number of plays last week. Final thing with Hurts. Yeah, last week he didn't need to use his legs. He still had like 10 or 11 rush attempts in this season now. He's had 37 rush attempts, so he's on pace to get 210 rush attempts on the season. Lamar Jackson is the only quarterback in NFL history with more than 150 rush attempts, and he's done that. You know, He's got the top three records for single-season rush attempts among any quarterbacks ever just the fact that Jalen Hurts has that on top of the high upside passing no surprise that both he and Lamar again are just taking over fantasy alongside Josh Allen blending you know the best of both worlds as these dual threat quarterbacks this week fun game in Philly against the Jaguars the Eagles sitting at six and a half point favorites so it sounds like Kevin that we're just along for the ride in this passing game I mean AJ Brown pretty much a consensus upside wide receiver one at this point Devontae Smith someone that hey you know I think we kind of had in the muddle wide receiver three range but back to 
back-to-back weeks, you know, sure as hell looking like an upside wide receiver too. Dallas Goddard, to your point, you know, reinforcing why we were so willing to kind of fade Dalton Schultz in round five when there was going to be uh, Dallas Goddard coming back around, hopefully, in round eight. So I want everyone, unfortunately, not really Miles Sanders because as we see in Buffalo and Baltimore and these other offenses we talked about, they can be so prolific for everyone involved except the lead back who's in a committee and unfortunately just doesn't get a bunch of targets. Yeah, I think you summed it up perfectly. I mean, the only, if you want to look at it at a negative, is the fact that you do have these three really, really good receivers. And you're never going to have a passing game that explodes as far as the volume is concerned. Uh, you know, you need shootout type of play, and their defense is playing pretty well on the other side of the ball. And their schedule is just a cakewalk. Easiest schedule in the NFL this season, not getting any harder the rest of the way. Those things play against like all of those guys being solid floor. You're going to get home solid results every single week. But at the same time, you know, fantasy football is not just, uh, you know, the floor outcomes. You're going to have to, you're still going to want these guys to have in your lineup a piece of your fantasy football team pie every week. Sometimes it'll taste really, really great. Sometimes it'll be okay, but generally it's going to be solid. To be fair, even with Miles Sanders, like it's it just sucks that we can't have yeah. like the number one running back be like this legit top twelve option. And again, the league's what's been the league's best offense to this point. Still a quality, I think, low end RB two, who we should see flirting with you know fifteen to twenty opportunities per game. So not a you know anti Miles Sanders talk, but yeah, I'm not expecting him to all of a sudden be in the top twelve like someone we talked about last pod, Josh Jacobs potentially with his usage. Next can't squad stop up, talking about Josh Jacobs. <laughs> That's just once this pod, man. We'll see how many times I get up there. Uh, it's, not, just, it's not even the AFC pod. All right, go ahead. I'm just going to be like, uh, he's my RB36. By the way, Josh Jacobs, you know, RB20. Yeah. This reference okay. to the Josh Jacobs uh, index. Where is he? Is he higher? Is he lower? Is he, yeah. Josh Jacobs, Josh Jacobs. Okay, okay, sorry, guys. Cowboys, two and one on the year. Second place in the NFC East at the moment. Cooper Rush, you know, it was funny. I was watching uh, get some a lot, lot of games last season at the PFF office with former PFF employee Eric Eager, now doing some very cool stuff in his own right. But we were watching Colt McCoy actually have a nice little stretch and like Colt McCoy, like we'll pick up this like third down and we're like, that's a $10 million throw right there because they're just a backup quarterback showing he could do it and then just probably earning himself, you know, a future contract. That's what I've been seeing with Cooper Rush, man. I mean, just some of the funny hijinks going around just about him. Okay, we're not going to sit here and act like he's better than Dak by any stretch of the imagination, but imagining Jerry Jones just opening up the pocketbook for Cooper Rush, uh, pretty funny in its own right. And his defense, our 16th highest graded passer among 32 qualifying quarterbacks, that's great for a backup. He's only had two turnover-worthy plays all season. And the one that really got me, man, was that only Tom Brady actually has a quicker time to release this season from getting the snap. And he's done it while keeping like a de- decent average target depth. I mean, that's what kind of made Tom Brady last season so unique. He gets the ball out before he can be pressured. But it wasn't the Ben Roethlisberger, I'm throwing the ball four feet, you know, in front of me just so I don't get sacked. They're actually maintaining a downfield passing attack. So overall thoughts on this Cooper Rush led Cowboys passing attack, because it certainly exceeded expectations. And we now have a growing sample size of three games of this. Yeah. And the thing is the the volume is never going to quite be there. So he doesn't, he has a good enough player, as you mentioned, a backup or maybe a low bottom 10-ish sort of quarterback, he does everything that you would want for all of those types of guys. What he doesn't do, probably can't do, is, okay, we need to crank up the volume. We have no threat of even thinking about running the ball, and we're just going to pass the ball, and we're going to let Cooper Rush 
direct our offense. That's not going to happen. They still ran the ball about 50% of the time last week, despite the fact that, you know, there wasn't an overwhelming lead in either direction there. Uh, He's taking situational shots down the field, but they're normally playing off of the defense, opening those things up because again, they're looking to stop the run. They're looking to stop the short passing game against them when they're blitzing. Um, So he's taking advantage of what's being given to him. The concern would be in one particular week, if things go off the rails and he needs to pass a bunch, what will end up happening there? It could end up flipping around and being extremely inefficient where it's been decently efficient to this point. Cowboys are home against Washington this week, sitting as three and a half point favorites. Next week, they got to play in Los Angeles. I went against the Rams, you know. Dak saying that he you know wants to be back in week five. Maybe he yeah. remembers uh, who's going to be on that D-line facing him. He decides to wait the next week. But they got the Eagles after that. So really, man, Rams, Eagles, Lions are coming up after this Commanders game. Those could start being the situations where if Cooper Rush is still under center, we're going to need to see him take on you know a bigger piece of the offense. So while he's still there, you know, Zeke, borderline RB2 at this point. If you want to even say RB3, I'm not going to call you crazy. I do have him ranked RB23 this week if you want to drop him down a little bit. That's fine. Tony Pollard, you know, already kind of did the uh, did, did the uh, slot RB talk uh, last podcast, Kevin. But, yeah, I remain disappointed at his overall usage. To me, without Dak in the picture, he's more of a borderline RB3, RB4. CeeDee Lamb is someone that, yeah, the quarterback play maybe isn't quite as good as we're going to see with Dak, but it's been manageable. And at the end of the day, CeeDee Lamb is a top-nine player in the NFL in total targets. Really tough to keep someone like that out of the lineup. And in the man's defense, brutal downfield drop on what could have been a 50-yard touchdown, but you come back and make a great one-handed catch, you know, we'll cut you some slack there. With that said, Kevin, because Dalton Schultz still banged up, Michael Gallup still banged up, we can't really trust anyone else. Just looking at when Dak comes back in week five or week six, how drastically are you going to change your pre, like what your preseason expectations were? Because Zeke was a consensus top 16 running back. CD was a top six wide receiver. Pollard's someone usually going top 30 and Dalton Schultz really the tight end six for most people. So are we just back assuming that's going to be the Cowboys offense? Because let's face it, before Dak got hurt, system looked pretty broken. Yeah, I mean, it was short, though. It was a short time period, and I would say... Versus very tough, versus very tough Buccaneers defense. Yeah, versus tough Bucks defense. I mean, I think that if you look at the case for all these different players, I think when Dak comes back, it hasn't changed that much. We have Gallup coming in. So if Gallup or Noah Brown kind of carves out that wide receiver two role, that becomes a potentially startable type of player where that wouldn't be the case um, with with Cooper Rush. And in the backfield, I don't know, it's it's... I feel like the Tony Pollard case was true, was a good case as far as Tony Pollard being a good running back. Uh, The case for him to be on the field at the same time was tenuous at at best to start off with. But the problem is Zeke looks good, too. I mean, you could say whether you want to argue, well, Pollard looks better than Zeke does. But the problem is that was going to have to be a pretty wide gap in order for a true changing of the guard to take place with everything that's been invested in Zeke along the way. Um, And that gap does not exist at this point. So it's just going to be frustrating either way. And even with Pollard, in order to really be a usable type of guy, are you going to get a 25, 30 yard play every single week? I don't know. Probably unlikely. So it's, it's going to be tough with either one of those guys right now. Uh, Zeke is probably going to benefit more, though, I think, when Dak comes back because then we bring the touchdowns more into play. 
would note with Dak, not a guarantee that he comes back and immediately is Dak Prescott again. Remember, Russell Wilson took him several weeks coming off of an injury to his throwing hand. And Russ, man, that dude was rehabbing 19 to 20 hours a day, as he told us all. I'm, I still don't know <laughs> He's just how like that was. Finger, yeah, finger exercises. He's doing, I don't even know what, want to know what those guys doing. I, we need more. I need more social media for him. I like that everyone's roasting him, but. Um, yeah, do you see the most recent thing with the Subway sandwiches? That was classic. No. Absolutely classic thing. <laughs> I don't know what, Anna, what was it? The PFT commenter thing was that he looked like he was talking to someone he's, you know, ransoming. who's tied up in a chair <laughs> next to him the entire time. The guy, he's he's got like that, a little bit of the glint in his eyes where you're like, maybe this guy could be a serial killer, honestly. Because <laughs> oh, he's like so fake. You know, you have to like be that fake. Like if you had this extreme thing going on in your life, that you, you can't allow even a window into. I feel like Russ could separate those two things. It'd be completely out of out of body experience when he's doing one and then move right back into the other. So I just love when he sent the uh, phone emoji. He's like, when I send this, I'm dialed in. And then I proceeded to text like people I hadn't talked to in five years, just like phone emoji. And people started calling me because they didn't know what the hell I was talking about. So that just made for an awkward like Wednesday afternoon. But yeah, more <laughs> Russ, more Russ on social media. Uh, I don't think anyone will regret that. New York football giants now two and one. Couldn't quite get that Monday night win over the Cowboys. Sterling Shepard sideline for the entire season. ACL injury was literally just jogging. Absolutely hate to see that happen to him. We hate all injuries, but Sterling Shepard coming back from the Achilles, that just especially hurts. This week at home against the Bears, Giants are sitting as three-and-a-half-point favorites, but it's pretty simple, man. There's Saquon Barkley, and there are a bunch of other guys that we have absolutely no plans of touching in fantasy football i see daniel jones's rushing pace but you know the, the guy could complete a forward pass to any wide receiver who's who knows who's even going to be out, out out there kenny galladay trade rumors who the hell is trading for kenny galladay unless this is just the ultimate you know basketball baseball type of move where you're just kind of sending them a bunch of picks to please take the contract away from them so any thoughts on anyone other than saquon kevin who i ranked as my overall rb1 this week just for good vibes why not man he should be up there if he's rb1 rb3 come on you're starting him anyway yeah i mean the problem with trading galladay is you're gonna have to eat a bunch of his salary and then already now it's not great. Like if you're, tr- if you're trading them here, so like, are you really going to eat? You probably have to eat like 15 million. So then what's the point? You're almost going to be paying his entire deal. He's not more worth more that much more than a veteran minimum, probably to a lot of other teams that are out there right now. So we'll see. I mean, they can't cut up though, because that's actually detrimental to their salary cap. I don't think they can afford to, to cut them at, at this point. So Galladay is out probably um, Shepard, obviously out. My real question is here, and tell me if I'm galaxy braining this, but I don't think you should cut Kadarius Tony because there's some I chance. I can't do some it. chance, but am I galaxy braining this by saying Wandale Robinson has a better shot at being a useful fantasy uh, asset eventually than Kadarius Tony? It's possible. I mean, we know the organization seemingly cares more about Wandale Robinson. Now we feel like we know that Kadarius Tony is a special football player and he still does have that first round draft capital to his name. We've seen him have the sort of rookie season that we then see lead to more future NFL success. So I'm more confident that the Giants like Wandale more than Tony, but I'm also more confident that Tony's the better football player. Yeah. But at the end of the day, Kevin, it probably does matter more what the Giants think than what uh what you and me sitting here think. So 
Maybe Wandale is a better stash. I feel like there are two different factors here. There, there's like the probability of getting having significant snaps on the field. Like just getting on the field is not enough. Like significant usable snaps on the field, and then you're multiplying that by the probability of being like a good enough football player to be to be useful. That first category, I think, leans so heavily towards Wandale Robinson at this point that the second category, while I'm somewhat confident that Kadarius Tony is the 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 obvious play there. I guess I'm just more confident in the first thing that Robinson's going to at least be given a shot. Cause I mean, it, right. Tony may just never get a shot this entire season to do anything. When he was healthy in week one, he was playing behind Richie James and David yeah, Sills. Yeah. Like unironically. I, uh, yeah. Saquon Barkley. If you want to keep a bench spot for Wandale, I'll, I will always keep a light on for uh Kadarius Tony, man. I just can't do it. It was, uh, I'm just gonna say, uh, if you have a deep bench, maybe yeah. you start that you maybe Wandale bring Wandale on board, you know, test him out, put him through the drill, see what, see what ends up happening <laughs> in the next couple of weeks. If you got to cut him, you got to cut him. But, um, he, he's a player you might want to shuffle in now just to see what happens two weeks from now. Washington commander sitting at one and two did have the nice two offensive performances to start the season. Then we saw Wentz, you know, do some Wentz things, taking nine sacks in week three and that blowout loss to the Eagles. Now they're in Dallas, Dallas sitting as three and a half point home favorites. Carson Wentz, I will say, I want to go look at his numbers. I wanted to see if we were looking at maybe like the 2018 ish version of Carson Wentz uh, efficiency wise. Been pretty brutal, man. He's been pretty damn bad by any stat you want to look at, except volume in fantasy football. We don't really care about the style points. We will take the volume. Still, lots of good wide receivers to go to. But overall, like, what really is the expectation on this Washington passing game, Kevin? Because right now we have three wide receivers that everyone likes enough. I think we all can agree that Dotson McLaurin and Curtis Samuel are all talented. But man, I feel like there's a decent chance we saw already saw the two best performances from this passing game in weeks one and two. Is this a situation where you look at guys like Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dotson and Curtis Samuel and you consider selling high on them? Or do you still think that, hey, okay, it's a Wentz roller coaster. We're going to see some down games like week three. But the fact we did see them succeed in weeks one and two, hold. Yeah, I think it's probably hold because I don't think you can sell McLaurin high I don't think you can sell Dotson necessarily high and Curtis Samuel's the one guy who might be the most reliable though probably lower ceiling type of guy there so he's probably worth more to you just to start than he would be to trade him elsewhere again unless we're talking about some sort of package deal and in Carson Wentz's defense and you know it's not that's not a good place to be for the last several years he was he was okay the first two games. He was just so bad. He was so bad and he was getting sacked so many times. Nine sacks, you know, fumbles, everything else was going on here. Um, and, and he got back a little bit in garbage time, but that was mostly for the receivers who were able to get back and do something. I mean, maybe you could, if you're totally out on McLaurin, if you've given up on McLaurin, maybe you could say it's a sell high since he actually come off his first decent week. But I don't know. I just don't think you're going to get more value from someone else than what that player is going to be worth for you going forward. Um, but I still think you can get some stuff with him. I think Carson Wentz can do some stuff as long as he's not getting sacked every other play like he was in the first half of that game. Very cleanly defined roles right now in this offense with Curtis Samuel, to your point, having the most kind of highest floor in this offense because his average target depth is just 3.3 yards yeah. downfield. All the That's also the low stuff. ceiling, though, because of that depth of target. And that's the thing. Terry McLaurin, 15.3 yard average target depth. I mean, Curtis leads the way 28 targets and Terry just has 19. Terry has an entire, you know, 54 more receiving yards though than Curtis, despite uh, that discrepancy. So rest of the season, are we still Terry over Curtis, but it's just closer than we thought? 
Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. I mean, in PPR, I might, at least in the short term, I, I probably would say, you know, Curtis over Terry, potentially. Uh, I, I, just 15 is a little bit too high for the A dot, honestly. I mean, we like air yards, you know. We don't want to bow down to the god of air yards, though. We also like catches. <laughs> Catches an underrated part of fantasy football, some <laughs> might say. NFC North, Minnesota Vikings at the top of the division for now, sitting at two and one. So they haven't quite clicked yet, Kevin. And now we do have Dalvin Cook dealing with his yearly shoulder issue. But what have been your overall impressions on just the first three weeks of the Kevin O'Connell experience? I mean, it hasn't been, you know, Doug Peterson Jaguars, you know, it hasn't been Mike McDaniel Dolphins, but I still think we saw the potential upside of Justin Jefferson in week one. To be fair, Thielen and KJ Osborne both scoring last week. Irv Smith, even though he's been coming back from the thumb, uh, you know, he's still been doing some good things, flashing out there, getting open. So to me, this looks like an offense that like in its best form, maybe it could be like this top five, top 10 unit, or am I just, you know, giving Kirk Cousins too much credit? Yeah, top five is probably giving him too much credit. I mean, I'm just – I don't put a ton into coaching um, unless it's really something that's definable. Like I don't think any coach necessarily – there are certain coaches who do, right? But I don't think you could ever assume a coach can like sprinkle some magic efficiency dust all over the passing game and and get something out of this. Now what they can do is they can pass the ball a little bit more. And, you know, last week the Vikings were in a game – where they were down 14 points early. They were down 10 points in the fourth quarter. They were down consistently and they came back to win that game. If that's Mike Zimmer as head coach and they're just like, established, you know, all the, all the time, the entire way, um, getting, getting discouraged, all those sorts of things, you know, but, uh, yelling at everyone all, all the time. Um, maybe that doesn't happen. There's those little edges I think can make a bigger difference than anything, um, but that doesn't make it a fundamentally different game when it comes to fantasy football. And when it comes to Dalvin Cook, you know, the, the background on the, yeah, the Cook injury here is we have a shoulder injury. I believe they said it was a dislocation. So he's had a dislocation before in his career. He has a torn labrum in his shoulder three different times in his in his career and he's had to have surgery on it three different times, maybe even four different times. I think who knows what they're cleaning up. Sometimes they're going in there. So the shoulder is a big long-standing issue for cook. And yeah, you know, it's a pain tolerance issue if it's not a torn labrum, but um, that still has a decent chance of happening going forward. If he can muster up the strength to play these next couple of games. Pro Football Talk, Mike Florio, does report that the current expectation is that Cook will wear a brace and play on Sunday against the Saints in London. 9.30 kickoff here, Saints and Vikings, so make sure you wake up just a little bit earlier on Sunday morning or just, you know, peep that lineup on Saturday. But we should know well in advance if Cook's, you know, going to be out there or not. Now, I guess the Saints well, James be all- out there. I guess we'll discuss that in Saints in the, in the Saints, uh, in the Saints uh, portion of what we're talking about. But that's that's an interesting question. I guess that's the thing. So I was thinking that they weren't going to be flying out to London until later in the week, but we are, the Saints are already there, so the Vikings are probably already there as well. So we'll see. Again, it's such a high profile. You guys saw the freaking 90 million tweets we got about Justin Herbert last week, and I think it's going to be a similar uh, expectation with Dalvin Cook. So expecting him to play. We saw in the Steelers game last year, you know, he can go out there and play through the pain, so you, you can't keep him out of lineups if he's out there. On the other side of things, if Cook is sidelined, Alexander Madison becomes an instant must-start 
option himself. Again, we're not shying away from Justin Jefferson. We kind of know who Kirk Cousins is. How are we feeling, though, about the other guys here, uh, Kevin? Underrated movie, obviously. But Adam Thielen, K.J. Osborne, Irv Smith. We did see Thielen last week, you know, get the touchdown. As I brought up, it hasn't gone more than three regular season games uh, without a score since 2018. K.J. Osborne also, you know, making good use of not the Cooper Cup role. We know that's Justin Jefferson, but the more, you know, 11 personnel friendly offense that Kevin O'Connell has, Irv Smith still coming back from the injuries. So overall thoughts on these guys moving forward is stealing someone we should still be firing up more weeks than not as long as he's healthy. Yeah, I think Thielen is that. I mean, this is the exact game that you want from Thielen, right? To get the touchdowns. And you're just going to have to be satisfied with the poor games there. I think Osborne, his target rate at least is going to be more playing the flip side of Justin Jefferson and that's probably not a place you want to be very often so I wouldn't be very confident necessarily in him going forward and Irv Smith Jr. it's kind of like yeah I mean he's you know he's a tight end he's he's out there he's running 50 to 60 percent of routes on a good day he can probably get maybe like 65 yards and a touchdown but I wouldn't he's not going to be able to get there on volume alone or give you that high high ceiling potential on volume. Do you think Osborne, if one of Jefferson or Thielen was out of the picture, like is he someone that then would be a Palmer, Tyler Boyd, like top 36 receiver? Or do you think, you know, we see Cousins just kind of force feed the other guys? I don't know. I think he might, he'd be fringe for top 36 for me. I'd have to see it first mm-hmm. because you'd have to see, you know, whoever, whoever else that, that they bring in there. I'm not even sure who else they have after that. Um, whether or not he can really distinguish himself at that point. I mean, I think so. I think he showed enough as a rookie and this season to be in there, but I guess I'd be a little skeptical at least for a week or two. Who is their number four? It was Chad Beebe for years, and we kept getting, you know, oh, did you guys have any idea who Chad Beebe is? Smith Marsette, right? So yeah. Oh, okay. it's uh, no, that's right. It's just Jalen Rager. They've uh, they've had him out there oh, a few times already. Oh yeah, yes. Okay, so yeah, so no problem. <laughs> he's he's locked in. He's locked in because that's uh, that's like a, 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 I was gonna say a target black hole, but that's the opposite <laughs> meaning because they would be sucking in targets. It's like whatever the opposite of a black hole is with targets. That's Jalen Rager. Packers sitting at two and one facing the Patriots. The Brian Hoyer likely led Patriots at home this week. Easy 10 point favorites for Green Bay. So Aaron Jones, AJ Dillon, you know, keep them rock solid, top 20, top 24. Worst case, running backs that should be, be in the heavy majority of starting lineups each and every week. What do we think about this passing game, though? Because, hey, they look great. Business as usual, home against the Bears. You know, as Aaron Rodgers tells us, he does own them objectively. They did really struggle for stretches against the Vikings and Buccaneers. Vikings game, no Lazard, didn't have the offensive tackles, a little more understandable. Buccaneers, that still is a pretty good defense. So what do you think that we're going to see here more so against the Patriots in terms of this passing game, Kevin? Because, hey, if we're able to see Rodgers get back and be more so like the guy we saw against the Bears – this is a pretty damn complete football team with a defense that I think is only going to get better as well. Or maybe we're looking too much at the one outlier against a bad Bears team and not paying enough attention to what 66% of the season has told us, which is this is not a very good passing game. Yeah, I just don't think it's an explosive passing game. At least we haven't seen that so far. I mean, Romeo Dobbs looks like he is someone who could potentially, you know, work well against man coverage. I think they're using a lot of man coverage because when you're not scared of the receivers, then you just put them in man coverage and they're almost begging for that to be the case at this point. Um, The question will be for Dobbs is if Watson and Watkins are back, would he continue here? But I think it's at least encouraging 
that he was very efficient with the targets that went to him. I think that's what helped builds up the trust with Rodgers is he knows it's not going to be a wasted target to throw it at someone. Eight targets, eight catches. He's probably the the guy that you're looking at most. I might, I, you know, Alan Lazard is Alan Lazard. So I think he's probably the guy who has a chance there. I guess the, my concern would be, can the Packers win if they really need to put up points and stretch the field? Um, they haven't needed to do that clearly against Chicago and even last week against the Bucks. So it's those game states which I'm interested in because they want to run the ball and they just don't have the volume otherwise. We don't have the volume. You don't have the explosive plays. Then you have a narrow window to get to, to get fantasy points there. Rodgers can probably negotiate that as well as anyone, but it's it's a difficult thing to do. Watkins is going to miss at least three more weeks with the hamstring. Christian Watson, though, could be back as early as next week. That's why I am continuing to give Lazard just the, you know, slight edge over Romeo Dobbs. But that, you know, it's certainly shrunk between them. And if we see just another game or two out of that, like Dobbs, you know, we really will be talking about the new number one receiver in Green Bay if he's not there already. Shout out Aaron Jones so far. I think just being the best running back in the NFL with the ball in his hands, it's hard to say otherwise. Freaking 0.5 0.5 missed tackles force per carry is out of this world. I mean, the number that everyone was losing their mind over last year was Javante Williams at like 0.33. So the fact that Jones is this high is wild. And his yards, you know, after contact per carry are elite as well. Over four yards after contact per carry. Again, I'd send this chart out every week. Missed tackles force per carry X axis. Yards after contact per carry on the Y. And the two running backs in the furthest right that are doing the best of both, Aaron Jones and Nick Chubb. So that's been awesome to see for those guys basically already talked about this uh you know offense from fantasy perspective robert tunyon thoughts anything else you want to say here kevin i mean another guy that you're hoping for for touchdowns and and low volume with and then here's what i'm saying here's my my prediction though when it comes to wide receiver core is that Dobbs has the best chance to be like a poor man's Devontae adams alan lazard can then be alan lazard and then christian watson can be like mvs with worse hands (laughs) That's, that's not a good call. So the, the, just running down the field and once every three games catches a 60-yard touchdown and twice every three games drops a 60-yard touchdown. That's basically will be his role. Sheesh, oh sheesh. All right, now – I think it's like a timer or something because I talked way too long about the Texans and the AFC pod. I don't want to do this again with the Chicago Bears. Two and one. That's great. You know, two and one. Oh man, this is rough though. Uh, I was telling Nathan, or no, I think I was, I'm sorry. I was talking to Sigmund uh, Bloom on the Football Guys podcast yesterday, and I was talking about how quarterback rating, Kevin, it's not a good stat for summing up a quarterback's performance. But if you look at it in terms of an entire passing game, it becomes more manageable. We're looking at passing yards, touchdowns, interceptions, things that the entirety well, of there are the no passing sacks game, in there. That's one of the blind spots. Yeah, that's fair, but just I'm not using it as a hatred on fields. I'm using it as a hatred on the entire passing game. And lo and behold, the Bears quarterback rating so their team passing rating based on this year is 50 the next worst team 75 this is miserable my question kevin is like could anybody be good in this passing game because as much as fields is holding the ball too long taking sacks he gets back there it feels like you know but two seconds pass before he even knows where the ball is going but we looked at this offense coming into the the year. We absolutely ruthlessly mocked it. We said, Velas Jones, you seriously, the 29-year-old wide receiver you're bringing in, that's your top draft pick. Oh, Byron Pringle, that was your big free agent addition. Sadly, like the few pieces they did try to add, even those guys aren't playing. Like this is objectively easily the worst group, I think, of pass catchers that any quarterback in the league has to deal with. So is Justin Fields just as big of a problem as everyone else, Kevin? I'm biased. I've 
been high on Justin Fields going back to his days at Ohio State and even putting that upside. I thought he objectively could be an NFL quarterback. Are you done with Justin Fields? No, I mean, I'm not done with Justin Fields, but I'm close. Um, okay, so they, like you think it's bad. It's, I mean, it's bad with any sort of stat that you put forward here. But the thing is, like, they're not throwing the ball. He's only dropped back to pass 65 times this season. They have 23 completions this season. And even with the 65 dropbacks, on almost 20% of the time they're dropping back to pass, he's getting sacked which is like off the charts, right? Type of sack rate. The other 20% of the time he's dropping back, he's he's scrambling. So they're still, they're only throwing the ball 60% of the time when they drop back the pass and they're never dropping back the pass. That is a, a formula where it's like literally uh, mathematically impossible to be a fantasy relevant wide receiver on this team. Um, the problem is also that Fields is just so, so bad that he's it's kind of impossible for him to be worth anything to because you have to generate so much off of the ground without any production there. And then we come to the running game where and we'll talk about that a bit. Khalil Herbert, um, he's gonna be everyone's favorite guy. You know, I'm sure he's somehow he was on the he was on the waivers in some league somewhere, somehow. Um, and everyone has picked him up for this for this this week. So we'll see what, what happens with that going forward. But I guess I would have concerns even there because you played the Texans last week. Like what happens if you're just in a bunch of games where you're just getting slammed so badly that even the running backs can't can't get there? I don't know. It's just all around the floor is the floor is the 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 basement. You know, the yes, ceiling yes. is the roof, is was the was, was uh, um, uh, Michael Jordan. The floor is the basement. I don't know I'm trying to invent, invent my own thing here, but that's what it is for this offense. And it's just a shame because it's not like this offense on paper looked any better last season, but we at least got, as we continue to tell everyone, you know, four straight top 12 uh, finishes from Justin Fields in his final four starts of last year and just hasn't even gotten close this year. Only the Raiders have a lower catchable deep ball rate than the Bears. And I think a lot of that is Carr just kind of having his back against the wall in some of these games and having to just chuck it downfield, not trying to slander him. And then on the other side of things, only the Colts and the Saints have actually been deemed open or wide open on a lower rate of their routes in the Bears this season. So Fields isn't putting the ball close to guys, and they're also not exactly giving him much room. Real quickly on the separation stat, PFF does this by route. So quit sending me your next-gen stats telling me that I'm wrong and I'm an idiot with this. They do it by target. They can do it the way they want to do it. But just so you guys know, I've seen the Saints metric where they're talking about how separated the wide receivers were. Not trying to slander next-gen stats here. I love their charts. They have a lot of cool things. Fastest ball carriers. Their top three players this year in separation ability are Farrell Brown, Tyler Conklin, Robert Tunyon because they measure it at the target. Looking at it on the route because it's a larger sample size and a better overall means of separation. I support anybody coming out with these cool new stats because, God forbid, we can't just be looking at contested target rates and pretending like that tells us if a guy can separate. ESPN just came out with a new stat I saw. Uh, they're looking at, you know, just the uh, open, like overall openness, I think, of these wide receivers. So if anyone got annoyed about me saying the Saints wide receivers can't separate, yeah, they haven't been able to on the routes. Maybe you can say it's their downfield offense. We'll talk more about that in a bit, but just wanted to get that off my chest. At the Giants this week, the Bears are, they are three and a half point road dogs. Real quickly, what are your expectations for Khalil Herbert if Montgomery is indeed going to be sidelined? Because, man, Herbert and, you know, 
shout out to all my Chicago Bears uh, college friends. You know, I'm always in the group text and hearing their thoughts on it. Bears fans thinks Herbert are, is better than Dave Montgomery, and they might have a point, man. Looking back to week one of last season to present day, yards per carry. Herbert has five. Montgomery, 3.9. Yards after contact per carry. Herbert has 0.6 more. He's forcing more missed tackles. I mean, PFF rushing grade. Herbert, 88.9. Montgomery, 66.4. So, like, Khalil Herbert, I, I'm not putting him as an RB1 or anything because it's not like we're treating Montgomery like that. But is it, are you going to like rank Herbert probably higher than you actually would have ranked Montgomery if he just had his usual role? I think so. I mean, it depends on the, on the game. This is a game where they're, you know, three and a half points are playing another poor offense so they can probably stay it in it in it there. So yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, Montgomery's in the last year of his contract here. So while so, there's kind of two different ways you can go, you can go and just, uh, you know, run the guy into the ground. Or if you have a situation like this where we are in our second year of Khalil Herbert, you could see a transition here. But the the ideal scenario for either guy is to have the other being out raises the ceiling much more so than even if Khalil Herbert had the dominant share and Montgomery was playing at the same time. I understand some receiving stuff goes into it as well with the pass blocking. And I've seen Herbert's subpar pass blocking grade. If you actually look at the number of snaps that running backs pass block, it's usually like three or four during any given game. So I'm not going to hold that too far against them. I'd rather use the massive sample size of rushing, which is kind of, you know, the main job of a running back. Sadly, in last place in the division, Kevin, the one and two Detroit Lions. This is like a real life version of everyone's like fantasy football nightmare where they're one and two. They're in last place. They have the second-ranked scoring offense, but they've given up more points than anyone in the entire league. Now, unlike fantasy, the Detroit Lions can, you know, determine how many points their opponents are going to be scoring against them. But, man, are you not entertained? This is awesome, man. I know the uh, restore the roar faithful. Maybe not the start you were looking for on the wins-loss record, but still, you know, two very close games. The Eagles won. I know they kind of just made it a game later. I don't think the Eagles were ever at too much risk of losing this one. Obviously, last week, that game could have gone either way. So, Either way, man, this offense, let's go. We thought it was just going to be a Monroe St. Brown, but now with DeAndre Swift potentially missing time with the shoulder injury, Jamal Williams is going to be awfully difficult to keep out of the top 12. I do actually have him ranked this week as my overall RB12, even ahead of guys like Najee Harris and James Conner, and even DJ Chark and Josh Reynolds are doing the thing. What are your overall thoughts on this Lions offense after three weeks? Yeah, you know, I was a little skeptical after the first two weeks that they were going to be able to keep up the offensive efficiency because it was driven a lot by, you know, seven yards per carry in in the offense, some big plays. Jared Goff was okay, but nothing spectacular. And then Goff was the one who stepped up. They got the regression I thought was going to happen when it came to the run game. And they were still able to put up points. So I think that is encouraging there. I mean, the Vikings defense is not exactly scaring anyone on that side. Um, but, you know, that said, they have enough weapons on offense now where we're not, again, the, the third and fourth receivers because sometimes can be a bigger deal than what we give credit for. So we know Amon Ross St. Brown is, is playing well. We know that TJ Hawkinson was going to be there. We thought DJ Chark might be able to do something. And then all of a sudden we have Josh Reynolds who could become a useful guy that they're using there too. So I think that really helps me feel better about this offense going forward is that even when they can't just control the ground game, even when they get into a little bit of a shootout type of atmosphere and need to pass the ball, that Jared Goff has enough around him to be someone where in a season of a full season of the National Football League, he did lead the National Football League in adjusted net yards per attempt back in 2000 and 
17, I want to say. I want to say 2017. So he is a high-efficient guy if everything's uh, going right around him, and that was the type of game we saw last week. Uh, when they face someone else with a lot of pressure, that could be his Achilles heel. But in, in other games, they're competing in multiple ways they can compete. PFF's third-ranked offensive line entering the season, and they've continued to you know look exactly like that, if not better. On the year, man, 2.8 rushing yards before contact per attempt. Only the Ravens are higher. And whenever you look at like rushing yards before contact, you see at the top a lot of teams, you know, with dual threat quarterbacks. Because you know, just you when you have the quarterbacks running, they're usually running the open field. And I think that kind of skews the stat a little bit. It's also just reality that dual threat running backs can really help make your run game more efficient. So when you see the lines up there, man, like the 49ers are kind of like one the only other offenses I've seen put up big time numbers there without the benefit of, you know, having that dual threat quarterback. So great job by the O-line, great job by the running backs and good schematic stuff from Dan Campbell and company as well. I think we basically covered that. Amon Ra is dealing with this ankle injury, Kevin. Let's say he does actually have to miss time. Chark and Reynolds, are these suddenly guys that, you know, we're ranking as top 36 options? No, no, (laughs) I don't think so. Not top 36. I mean, I think they're guys... I think you look where they're priced and you think, can I play them in DFS potentially? And, you know, it's more like a bye week sort of guy. You, you, you throw a dart at one of them during a bye week for me. Um, yeah, it, I guess there is a possibility if they can't run the ball, but I think they're going to try to run the ball. They're going to try to throw it to Hawkinson. They're going to try to do that sort of stuff and they'll take, uh, you know, some deep shots at them, but I can almost guarantee if I were to start one of one, one of these guys, it would be the wrong one. It's like almost a certain a mathematical certainty that if you pick either Reynolds or Chark, that the other one is the one that would have a good game. Before we get to NFC South, NFC West, I want to pay a few bills. No house advantage is changing the game by offering the most dynamic fantasy sports platform available today. Playing pick'em contests versus other people for the shot at winning 250k plus in cash. Download the app, choose a contest, select your player props, earn points for correct picks, and climb the leaderboard for your shot to win big money every day. You can also test your skills versus the house in 20 times your entry if you hit all your picks. Better up to five player prop over unders or individual player matchups across every major sports league, including NFL. NBA, MLB, PGA, MMA, and NASCAR. Sign up now with promo code FANCYPFF at nohouseadvantage.com or download the app on the app stores to get a first deposit match up to $25. Make sure to check out No House Advance today and experience daily daily fantasy sports redefined because it's not just how you play, but also where you play, and you don't want to miss out on this. Also, don't forget, PFF now has an app. You can get my Kevin, Nathan Yonke, all that fantasy football advice, all of our betting tools, all of our locked article content, all that and more. PFF Plus sub, PFF app, truly a great day to be great. And the best thing we got on there, I think, for you know fantasy purposes is our start sit tool. Very easy. It takes my ranks, Kevin's ranks, Nathan's ranks. All you got to do is go in. You pick the one player that you're wondering about. You pick the second player you're wondering about. It generates exactly who myself, Kevin, and Nathan have ranked ahead of that. So love getting your guys start sit questions. You know, if I had unlimited time i'd be happy to set all your lineups out there but i would like to try to stay engaged try to not have everyone in my life hate me so i only have a limited amount of time for those start sick questions we will take them you know plenty throughout the week but i can't get to it this is next best thing pff app start sit tool maybe you favor kevin nathan maybe you favor me this gives you the chance to do all that and much more so make sure you go download and check it out nfc south at the top Two and one, that's great. They've had a lot of injuries. Let's face it, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers haven't exactly been uh, just – they look bad in offense. But, again, it's very understandable. We've seen Tom Brady's arm. We're making the excuses. 
this is going to be a top five offense with all the wep- weapons are back, Kevin. They're coming. Mike Evans off the suspension. Julio Jones apparently going to play through his PCL issue. Chris Goblin, the hamstring injury, not believed to keep him sidelined more than another week or two. So that's the question because Tom Brady, he's been disappointing a lot of people. Is he someone that we should be looking to buy low on? Because, you know, again, he still looks like Tom Brady. It's been fairly easily explainable. Again, in some tough matchups as well, why things have gone the way they've gone the first three weeks. Yeah, I mean, maybe you could buy on Brady if you wanted to just have him and stash him around. I think the the problem with them projecting as being a top 10, top 5 type of offense is we don't have the passing volume. Now, maybe that's purely a function of the fact that the defense has been playing so well and the pass catchers have been injured, so they're not going to turn it loose. But that's been an integral part of the fantasy goodness that's come out of there when you had Tom Brady leading the league in pass attempts, leading the league in yardage last year, you need the volume on top of the efficiency. So we need to see both of those elements come together. The receivers coming back can help the, can help the efficiency. uh, But with the defense continuing to play well, I'm not sure about the volume yet. That would be my concern. Receivers again, slowly coming back. So, Evans will be back at least. I mean, hopefully Evans is a, is a is a guy who can get going at least because without the target competition. Talked about Evans. I mean, I think he's got like nine or ten touchdowns in like eight or nine games without uh, Chris Goblin over the years. The way he's not playing Marshawn Lattimore and getting kicked out before the fourth quarter starts, you know, he is someone that, of course, is going to be in lineups of all shapes and sizes. And even if Goblin somehow finds a way to play this week, we're feeling good about that. Julio, someone that based on the week one usage and how he looked, I think you could argue he was going to be like a borderline wide receiver too once he got back. With this injury, though, man, like it seems very possible that he's only kind of used sparingly. I'm more wide receiver for wait and see there. I'm not that convinced that Russell Gage is going to get force fed the way he was last week with Mike Evans now back in the picture. But Kevin, let's say it's week six. All these guys are healthy. Everyone's fine. We don't have to worry about that. Is it Mike Evans and Chris Goblin and everyone else? Or do you think that Julio and Gage are guys that could still give us some nice value down the stretch, even once the top two are healthy? I mean, maybe Julio, I'd be more skeptical of Gage, but I think like low key and kind of counterintuitive if everyone's back and they're performing in a more efficient manner. Remember I said you need the efficiency and the volume. Well, a player who I think could really, really explode in the second half without having to have the volume is Lenny in the backfield right now, because what else could you ask for what he's doing? He ran 32 out of the 37 running back routes last game. Um, he had all the running back carries last game. It's it, it's not a lot because the offense isn't performing efficiently, but if the offense can raise that efficiency, even if they whether they pass it or they run it, either way, I think Lenny could be a RB1 week in and week out when that offense turns around. There were two running backs in week three that played over 90% of the offensive snaps and ran a route on at least 70% of the quarterback's dropbacks. Saquon Barkley and Leonard Fournette. Rashad White, still still a great handcuff that should be owned in every single league, but he is doing absolutely nothing standalone. It really is the Leonard Fournette show. Should have some bigger days ahead. Again, this one on Sunday night against the Chiefs. Kansas City opened as two-point favorites and swung back to Tampa Bay, uh, minus two and a half. Right now, they said they're going to try to play the game in Tampa. If not, they're going to move up north into Minneapolis. So, again, it's a 
tentative situation we'll see what the weather looks like obviously if we are going to have the wind speeds and you know the rain and all that stuff going on massive downgrades for everyone involved in the passing games Leonard Fournette would probably at that point be the only guy that you could really feel great about starting but with that said man it's still Mike Evans so just something to keep an eye on we'll have more talks about that on the Friday injury pod so make sure you check that out at the end of every week in second place the New Orleans Saints one and two has it been great? I enjoy the Jameis experience, but let's face it, this has been a pretty bad offense. So, Kevin, what if I offered you, like right now, they've been a bottom 10, bottom 12 offense by pretty much any metric you want to look at. What if I gave you minus 200 odds that they're going to be a bottom 10 offense by the end of the year or a top 10 offense, but I'll give you plus 350 odds. Deals with the take. Um, I might take get there. I might, I might take the minus 200, oh, honestly. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. Um, I don't know. I mean, the questions, so the, there's a lot, lot of questions abound here. I mean, we have Olave who has, you know, 5 billion air yards, and he started to cash those in recently. I think he's up to number six in the NFL and receiving six or eight. But say he's first in air yards. He's also six or seventh in real life yards. So hey, Yeah, yeah. It. So he's he's getting there. Props to him. Um Alvin Kamara, are we on washed? Are we on washed watch for for Alvin Kamara? I think that's an interesting question. And again, the reason why the things are looking a little bleak here, we'll see what what pans out for the rest of the week and the back injury and everything else. But we do have word here from beat reporters for the Saints in this London game that um, Jameis Winston was not at practice at all today. And it was Andy Dalton took the first team reps and Taysom Hill receiving reps and then was the reserve quarterback there. So if we're talking about Dalton Taysom time, then I'll take minus 200 on bottom five offense. That is very <laughs> actually, fair. no, they won't even be that bad. They'll still be bottom 10, but, uh, but I, it, it's not, it, it takes the upside out of the equation at least. Oh, hundred percent. We did have the air yards. Talk about <laughs> it. will be, they will be, they will be negative air yards for a lobby. And that's it in that situation. Yeah. If we get Dalton, the red rocket back under center, that's not going to be uh, ideal for anyone out there. He's got great hair though. Does have great hair. I mean, yeah. it feels a different color, but you know, it's not, it's not his fault <laughs> with, uh, with James coach, head coach, Dennis Allen did say he expects James to be back at practice on Thursday. So hopefully, cause the James experience remains a treat for everyone other than saints fans uh, to watch for. I remember they were in London a, a while back and James threw like 17 interceptions against the Carolina Panthers. Don't ask me why that sticks out in my head. So like a halftime move is not out of the question though. Oh, I don't think so. Come on. I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know. We're getting, like, but this is the Jameis experience. You know, there's going to be some lows, but you know, the highs are, you know, he's always good yeah, enough. Coaches to all- don't like the Jameis experience. <laughs> That's the thing. He wasn't a bad overall efficiency quarterback when he was in Tampa, but they only held on to him for the franchise tag year because they didn't have a better option. And then they let him, and then they, they, they were happy to let him go after That's that. That's my so, point though. You can't say Dalton's a better option. I mean, no, on. I don't. But when you're pulling your hair out and you know, you're, you're a coach and you see your defense playing well, and you think to yourself, if we wouldn't have thrown that one pick six, we would have won this game sort of situation. Then, you know, that's when these, that's when bad decisions happen. He drives coaches to temporary <laughs> insanity. Okay. And I can't, Fully blame the coaches in these scenarios. I want like a red zone. I want Jameis to be the starting quarterback for all 32 NFL teams. Like that's my utopian society. Fourth and big time throw rate, 26 in turnover worthy play rate. 
12 yards of average target depth. That's, I think, going to be the highest like single season mark in the PFF database if it actually goes on for the entire season. It's like a Tropic Thunder. I won't use the word, but they, you know, told Ben Stiller never to go full into a role like never go full Jameis, uh, Kevin. That's not that's not yeah. what anyone wants to if see. If you could so. start start defense in the flex too, that's what I would want to do if Jameis was starting for every single team. With that said. They get this Vikings matchup in London. That could be a potential shootout. Seahawks, winnable matchup. And then week six through nine, Bengals, Cardinals, Raiders, Ravens. So if they can get back on track a little bit, they're going to have the sort of offenses across the field that I do think will help them keep up. This pass play rate, that does have them as the sixth most pass happy offense in the year. Now, minimal neutral game script so far. They've been trailing a lot in these games, but you, you see the upside, man. Michael Thomas, he is banged up again uh, with the ankle. Jarvis Landry's deal. I'm sorry. Michael Thomas has the ankle. I think Jarvis, Michael Thomas has the foot. I think Jarvis has the ankle. My goodness, Ian. So we'll see, we'll monitor that. Even if Michael Thomas is healthy though, Kevin, like it's time. Chris Olave needs to be ranked higher, right? Yeah, I think so. But I wouldn't, you know, it, it's it's unstable at this point. Well, I, I, I think so. But again, I'm going to hit it again because I need your opinion. Alvin Kamara, what do we think? What's going on? What's happening? Uh, well, it didn't look great, but then again, you know, whatever. It's, 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 he hasn't played. I don't know if we have a big enough sample to really say yet. This happened last year. He averaged 3.7 yards per carry, just like Saquon did, just like James Conner did. We just didn't talk about Alvin Kamara being washed because he was getting 30 touches a game, so it didn't really matter. So I think that's ultimately – he's going to have too much volume to really bust that long. Now, is he going to – it's similar to McCaffrey, honestly. Like, we're not seeing these guys having the same gaudy target and receiving numbers that made them the fantasy darlings that we're used to seeing – so it sucks that we're not getting that, but I'm also have a hard time believing that with all the carries and rush attempts and probably some targets progression down the line, I think it's going to be tough for them to overly bust that much. I mean, I, look, it's I have yeah, I'm, I'm going to predict the future next week. We're going to your first talking point is going to be can Andy Dalton unlock Alvin Kamara? That's going to be their first. That'd, that'd be, first. be best case. You kidding me? If we <laughs> go from the, that'd be the that's going to be our first talking point next week for the for the Saints. Look, again, Jameis is at a 12-yard average target depth. Dalton's could literally be half that, and he's just all of a sudden checking down to Kamara. I mean, time. how much worse can he be than, than washed Drew Brees, right, when it comes oh. to this offense? All right, all right. Enough about the Saints here. Again, that one's in London. 9.30 kickoff. We're going to have a lot of football on Sunday. Always a great day to be great. Panthers sitting at one and two. I didn't want them to get that win. I'm so over the Matt Rule, just era, whatever the hell you want to call it. So how much of these offensive failures do you put on Baker Mayfield, Kevin? He, Baker Mayfield, mainstream media won't admit it. He's had two prolonged stretches in his career where he has objectively been an above average quarterback. A lot of quarterbacks can't say that. This year, he has objectively been pretty terrible. He does have DJ Moore. He does have Robbie Anderson and Christian McCaffrey. But I don't know, man. The more we keep hyping up some of these weapons, the more we keep seeing quarterbacks go there and not manage to do much of anything, uh, you do start to wonder, you know, who is actually at fault. So basically, like, is is Baker Mayfield really the worst starting quarterback in the league? Because that's basically what he's been playing. Like, I think we can put Hoyer one spot below him now at this point. But again, how much of the overall favor do you put on Baker Mayfield? Because he's not hurt. And that was kind of what we hung our hat on last year. Yeah, I don't think he's the the worst quarterback in the NFL. I mean, so far this season, he doesn't even have 100 dropbacks um, so far this year. So he hasn't had a lot of opportunity. And if you look at his efficiency on a per-play basis, now the problem is this is juiced by the fact that there haven't been turnovers and 
there have been a ton of yak, especially last week for LaVisca Chenault. Yeah. It's basically all yak. All of his production was yak. But he's 25th in EPA per play this season, right below Mac Jones, Jameis Winston, and Aaron Rodgers are the next three guys there. So there's some other guys who are struggling too. It's just the lack of volume and the fact that they haven't been able to move the ball at all. It's all been based on a broken coverage touchdown to Robbie Anderson and some yak running uh, by LaVisca Chanel. That's really the problem. But again, he, he hasn't had a lot to, to, to work with so far. So I think he could turn it around. And I still have trouble believing that he's worse than Sam Darnold as a quarterback. But maybe just the offense as a whole is not clicking also right now. Ben McAdoo probably doesn't deserve the benefit of the doubt. And yeah, like just when I, when I finally got around to watching the Panthers this last week, I mean, I was just expecting it to be absolutely atrocious from Baker. Cause that's, you know, what the box score said. And it really wasn't. I mean, again, he didn't play great. His only big play was the LaVisca Chenault screen touchdown that, you know, Baker didn't have much to do with, but it wasn't just like, it's not like DJ Moore is just running wide open, you know, 20 times a game and Baker's missing him. To me, it seems like a mixture of Baker, maybe not, you know, Playing a little bit still like the deer in the headlights. I don't think we're seeing him, you know, kind of having that swagger and just having that belief that he can make, you know, big time throws all over the field mixed with there just not really being many open uh, guys to begin with. So this week facing the Cardinals, Carolina, I'm seeing a favor by one and a half at open Arizona plus one and a half. I'm not sure Carolina should be favored over anyone in the year 2022. What are your thoughts now on Christian McCaffrey? Still a top 10 fantasy running back. He's gone 25 straight games, non-injured games, with at least 100 yards or a touchdown. With that said, the man's not catching many passes. Why isn't CMC catching more passes, Kevin? Can you change it? I wish I could. I mean, l- let me know how I can change <laughs> it, and I'll try to do so. I mean, I-, I think it's fine. I think if you were going to like redraft at this point, I'd probably still make him like a top five ish sort of pick maybe um not n- not counting what's happened right <laughs> <Not counting laughs> what's happened like rest of season sort of thing if you're going to draft i think he's getting enough usage and it's just like the offense has to get better so we're, we're looking at like the floor of the floor for what he will do as a healthy player and if this is the floor of the floor for what he's going to do i think that's i think that's okay and i think that still shows you he has that upside going forward we just don't know it's going to come for sure we just don't know the offense is going to turn around we only really know this floor exists we'll see what happens as far as everything else is concerned we're in the basement as you were alluding to earlier i really hope there's the basement i really hope there's not an extra seller because that that would be one thing i mean he's rb 16 and this is like worst case scenario right so you know there's there's probably few other guys you could really say that about and he's still ninth in ppr points per game expected uh so the workload isn't terrible it's just not 101 cmc like we're hoping for just 4.7 targets per game he was at 5.9 last year 8.9 and 20 not winning any weeks for you that's for certain Falcons sitting at one and two. There's three players in the NFL with at least 300 rushing yards, Kevin. Nick Chubb, Saquon Barkley, and Core Daryl Patterson. Kings stay Kings. They're facing the Browns this week. Cleveland, one and a half point favorites. Might not have, you know, arguably not the biggest difference maker in the league. We'll give that to Aaron Donald, but right up there. And Miles Garrett still recovering from that car crash. Luckily, not life-threatening or anything like that. So get better, Miles Garrett. Obviously, though, if he's out of the picture, going to be good news for the Falcons offense. So Cordero Patterson, man, he just keeps on keeping on. And he's really been doing this going back all the way to the first half of last season. Yes, he had the bad second half, but this was just one of the questions I kept asking in the offseason, where it was like, 
guys like Derrick Henry and DeAndre Swift, last year they got hurt and they just weren't on the field, so we didn't penalize them for getting hurt. Guys like Cordero Patterson and Zico Elliott chose to play through the pain, and we did penalize him for doing that. So in the first halves of the last two seasons before he got hurt, he's been the RB 36, 4, 19, 1, 16, 19, 11, 7, 5, 1 dud at RB 52, and then most recently last week's RB 6 finish. So I have him ranked RB 15, Kevin, and I feel kind of like a fraud as president of the Cordero Patterson fan club because the man's been an RB 1. Is it time to just accept that he's an RB 1? Low end, low end in this environment. Yes, I'll say so. Um, but he's not like dominating as far as the the workload and the snaps are concerned. Like you would be confident. I'd say a low floor, still a low floor in my opinion. RB like low floor, late ish, low end RB one is is like yeah, we're doing the we're doing the victory laps on that being uh, being Patterson right now. I talked about the Lions uh, offensive line, kind of the yards before contact stuff earlier. In third place this year are the Falcons, 2.5 yards before contact per carry. Marcus Mariota helping you know, with that, I think it's to a decent extent, thanks to his dual threat ability. But also, man, I think that we just kind of saw the Seattle Seahawks defense get exposed in life without Bobby Wagner and now also Jamal Adams, who I know gets plenty of flack. But against the run, I mean, Jamal Adams does it better than most. So with the Falcons last week, I mean, you did watch some of those carries that Cordero had. And the broadcast team was saying it looked like he was out there returning kicks because he just wasn't being touched the first five, 10 yards getting downhill. So I do think that certainly played into it to an extent. But hey, we'll certainly take those two again, top 10 weeks already. Great day to be great for CPAC. Keep them in those starting lineups. Now with the passing game, Drake London, Kyle Pitts. London looks like the real deal. Holyfield, man, just already kind of being that alpha wide receiver one. All of his stands we're talking about. He's demanding targets. He looks like the clear cut number one offense, number one option in this offense. And we have Kyle Pitts, who they went out of their way to feed the ball to last week. I mean, the air yards, I think he was well over 150, even in addition to having, you know, 85 real yards and having himself a pretty good game. So do you think week three was Arthur Smith just trying to get us off his back and, you know, throwing Kyle Pitts a few bones? Or are we going to see this offense be good enough passing the ball to consistently enable both London and Kyle Pitts? Yeah, I don't think it's going to be good enough passing the ball because they don't pass the ball very much. They're bottom three in pass attempts so far this season that could go up if they're not being as surprisingly competitive as they've been so far this year. But I agree with Pitts. The thing that was, that was discouraging for me when it came to Pitts was I do think they were trying to manufacture stuff or it, um, for him, especially early in the game. If you look at his first half usage versus his second half usage in the first half, he was getting seven targets. He had 82 yards in the first half. And then, you know, when things tighten up a bit, which I think the offenses kind of lean on a little bit more what they want to lean on in the second half, he had one catch for five yards. So that makes me a little bit concerned that he's not more involved when the team is saying, you know, let's look at the playlist here and let's do what we really need to do. Now, mind you, they only had 46 yards passing in the second half, but London did have two catches for 24 yards and a touchdown during that time period. Yeah, 10 of 12 quarters have not looked good for Kyle Pitts this year. Uh, be a lot cooler if that was, uh, you know, in reverse. Drake London versus T. Higgins the rest of the season. Easy T? T. Higgins. I still take T. Higgins, but it's not it's not laughable, yeah. I would say. It's not laughable. Drake London versus CeeDee Lamb. 
that's a good one. Uh, that's where we're at with Drake London. I think I'll man. still take CD Lamb. I mean, I'm not going to go crazy here. I'm still taking CD Lamb. That's fair uh, because yeah, I mean, Dak's coming back. So I'm still taking CD Lamb. But the fact that I thought about that is something, I guess. Yeah. And that's been the thing with London. He did find his way into the end zone again last week. He had a second touchdown in his hands. The defender made a nice play to rip it out. Even the way the that he night. got into the end zone, like that's a play where most receivers do not make the catch, spin, turn, and then get in the end zone from five yards away. Most receivers make that catch, are tackled, and then, you know, the running back gets the touchdown or something like that. So getting those incremental touchdowns for a receiver where you're not targeted in the end zone, where you literally have stopped and you're not facing the end zone when you catch it and then you get into the end zone, having that ability is a huge deal. And I forget if it was a corner or safety between him and the end zone, but that yeah. game was just like, oh, Fuck, like I, I got Drake London now to try to take down here. Never it wasn't even chance. like he ran through him. He I mean he 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 got his hips, you know, he's sinking the hips. I'm talking <laughs> I'm talking football guy talk here. He was sinking those hips and making that turn. And uh at for a guy who's you know six four, however big he is, that was impressive. Again, I never I didn't buy into like Drake London can't separate talk, but what he has surprised me with is just the ability to, you know, I, I compare it to Jalen Waddle a little bit. They're different players, I get that. But the fact that London can, you know, be this underneath guy and just really a target hog and still make good moves after the catch and stuff, too. I haven't seen anything he can't do yet on a football field. Should be more and more good days to come for Drake London. Let's talk and finish up with the NFC West here. The first place Rams at two and one, only team in the division with two wins. Cam Akers slowly but surely crawling his way out of the doghouse. I, now, I knew that was going to be your first point. It's going to be Cam Akers related. Go ahead. Now so you're he, starting him across the board, I assume. No, of course not. But we're still <laughs> at least feeling better about it. So one good news, because we did see Cam Akers lose a fumble at the goal line at the end of week three. They actually did ask Sean McVay about it. Because after that fumble, they only had two kneel downs the rest of the game. So we didn't get to see if he was going to be in the doghouse. But McVay got asked what he told Akers, and he responded, that I'm coming right back to you and have all the confidence in the world. Let's learn from it. But you've done too many good things throughout the game for that to minimize. All right, if we have to go back out in the field in some sort of four-minute situation, he was going to be the guy we were going to lean on, and that's what would have happened if that hadn't folded like that. Back-to-back weeks now where Akers has been the preferred running back in terms of touches, albeit Daryl Henderson still out there playing basically half of the snaps in his own right. So don't cut Henderson. He's still one of the highest value handcuffs in the NFL. We really can't start uh, Henderson right now. I guess the question, Kevin, is like, do you think Akers is on the trajectory where we're seeing McVay start to give him the sort of role that people like myself and others drafted him in the fourth round, fifth round, hoping to get in the first place? Or is this a split backfield that's going to keep being a split backfield? I mean, I think it's more likely a split backfield that will continue to be that. Although, I will say that since Akers has been drafted um, and when he's been healthy, it does seem like they like him. They like him more. Um, But what we haven't seen is any uptick really in the routes. So that always is is a little – that's a little fuzzy. You know, even with the team in a high-powered offense, if you're not getting the routes, we still don't know yet. But I would just – if I see it for one more week and I see the routes start to tick up, then I really do start to believe because I think they they want Cam Akers to be the guy in some sort of ideal scenario. And that's a powerful thing when it comes to running backs where, you know, what the coach wants means a lot. 
5.3 yards per carry in week three. Just the first, I mean, he didn't, he didn't even average over 3.7 yards per carry in a game since he's returned from that Achilles injury. So that was great to see. He had three explosive runs in those previous seven games combined. He only had two. So he really did look uh, better out there. I don't want to put too much into one game against a bad Cardinals defense. But when we have seen McVay really lean into one running back, to your point, it's been awfully productive in fantasy land. So good stuff ahead for Cam Akers. They got the 49ers in San Francisco on Monday night football. San Fran favored by two and a half points. Alan Woods, I mean, not Alan Woods, Alan Robinson, rest of the season. Are we getting a Robert Woods or OBJ sort of, you know, period out of him? Or is this just what it is? I will say Robinson, you know, it's tough to say like, oh, he dropped a touchdown. So like he's someone that we should be, you know, feeling good about. He did drop a touchdown last week, and he had the aforementioned one in week two where he did score a touchdown. He could have had a second one if he didn't have the fluky injury timeout. So if there is someone we can buy low on, Kevin, it's Allen Robinson. That said, like, do we even want to buy low on the guy? I mean, maybe. It all depends on what the situation is. I think we're starting to get into the world where your expectation for him preseason is it's looking shaky for like some upside you're going he's going to be like a league winning type of player but it's looking solid for you know he's going to be close to it's potentially close to the type of player you drafted him at as far as his ADP it's still not there yet it's still not there yet we still got to wait but that is something that you can look at maybe in a week or two and feel confident to be there and I think that's what you're hoping for at this point I don't know. Let's see a Cam Akers pass attempt. That dude has a cannon with things they used to ask him to do at Florida State. That's all I'm saying. Cam Akers pass <laughs> attempt this week. Take it, take it to the bank. Second place Cardinals sitting at one and two. Here's my biggest concern with the Cardinals. So I looked in their overall EPA per there are play. Lots of concerns too. So this will be interesting to see what's the biggest one. Kevin, like this has been one of these offenses where we've talked about the Kyler injuries and how the second half of the year they haven't looked the same. Sean McVay's had similar issues arise last year. He obviously overcame them and had a great playoff run and all that. But the EPA per play at the Cardinals offense in the first half versus the second half has been problematic. I mean, this first half hasn't been good by any stretch of the imagination. They've looked like a broken offense until they get in the second half and it's basically like, does Kyler even have a plan? Like, I is there a more just backyard football quarterback than Kyler right now? And on the one hand, I want to, I wonder how much of that is to do with Kyler and his ability to play football. Maybe is that just the Kyler system that he has to do? On the other hand, we look at Cliff Kingsbury, who has notoriously not moved his guys around, not you know done anything shifting or motioning pre-snap to help make things easier on the quarterback and. When we hear the reports in the offseason about Kyler kind of complaining about the plays and Cliff's solution is to like have Kyler call the plays, like to what show him that his, the plays aren't very good. We're not like, I, look, because they just gave Kyler all this money. They did extend Cliff. I mean, is this unfortunately just going to be a bad Cardinals offense this year? Because it sure doesn't look good right now. And as much as I would like to think they're going to get better, the last three years I've told us that this Cardinals offense gets worse as the season goes along. Yeah, I mean, hopefully that won't be a uh, Kyler injury now. So that was part of it getting worse. I mean, we have DeAndre Hopkins coming back eventually, so that'll be something. But yeah, I mean, the offense is just kind of ugly. We're talking about a very, very, I mean, they throw a lot. They're throwing a ton of passes. So the high target numbers are somewhat part of that. I think they're second to only the um, Jets so far in pass attempts this year. So we're talking about an offense that's spamming uh, Zach Ertz and... Greg Marquise Brown, except for not down the field. Yeah. <laughs> except, for, except for not down. There's some strange plays, though, where I felt like he had a decent-looking pass to Marquise Brown, and it's just like, I, 
I don't, those, don't those look weird where they don't dive for it? I, I'm just like, yeah, how there was confident that you couldn't, you couldn't get to that. He probably couldn't have, don't get me wrong, but like it, it, it's a little bit weird. What I want is I want, at least in the short term, this will probably be bad for the long term for the offense, but I want in the short term, this whole Kyler Murray offense. I want real capitulation to a Kyler Murray offense. He had two carries for eight yards last week. Okay. He has. 29 yards in week one, 28 in week two, and then eight in his last week. He's he's not running the ball. Let's make it truly the Kyler Murray offense and do that because uh, I have him on some fantasy teams and I want him. He's clearly not close to the Jalen Hurts, Josh Allen, and um, Lamar Jackson tier. And he's struggling now to even like say he's clear, he's really in a second tier behind those guys if he's not gonna start running the ball so let's do it little man you said it before in the last little person me. <laughs> i want to be i want to use the pc terms little said, person let's get, get let's get going i feel like little, i feel like little person's more offensive than little man but well, okay <laughs> You said in the last pod, Joe Burrow literally has more rushing yards than Kyler Murray this year, which is absolutely wild. Again, we have gone to pass volume. Kyler hasn't completely killed us, but just the best version of Kyler Murray has been one of the more productive fantasy football quarterbacks we've ever seen with his ability to blend that high-end rushing upside with plenty of passing goodness as well. So I still have Kyler as my QB6. I'm not panicking just yet, but it's certainly not good. And man, like, it, this seems like a conscious decision not to run him as much. I mean, there was a snap where Aaron Donald just blew past the lineman. And I, I'm, I'm sure I do the same thing that Kyler did in the situation, but like the pure fear that seemed to be in his eyes is he just immediately takes a step back and like chucks the ball wherever, like dude had absolutely no uh, inclination to take a hit. And yeah, it is Aaron Donald. And you know what? Him staying healthy is one of the best things that can happen uh, for the Cardinals. Just unfortunately, you know, we need those rush attempts in fantasy for him to be that world beater that we were hoping for. So yeah, really is a concern, but is this just an opportunity to buy low Kevin? Because as we've seen, even in week two, like when they do get down in situations, like he does run when he has to, will that be enough for him to still work as a top six QB? I don't think it will. That's my, that's my, my problem is they're losing games. And this is like the, the most, uh, I was gonna say ballless offense. <laughs> like it, it just says they have no balls. Okay. That's Houston. That's Houston, but close. I mean, 8.7 yards per completion. 8.7 yards per completion in this offense. He's taken five sacks. That's it. He has a 3.4% sack rate. It's a very, very low sack rate. He's not taking hits. He's not running the ball. And he's not throwing the ball down the field or completing anything down the field. And they're losing games. Buck up, guys. Start running the ball, Kyler. Throw the ball down the field. Take some risk. This is you. We're trying to win ball games here. We're not just trying to hang around. I know you got your contract. You're just waiting for the offseason where you can fire up the Xbox again. No, now is the time, Kyler. Let's do it. Yes, again, you're on my fantasy team, so I need. Especially if you're on my PFF fantasy team too, so I need to win here. Let's do it. Obviously, with all those short completions, though, Zach Ertz remains, you know, mid-tier tight end one. Hollywood Brown should be in all lineups as a top 20 wide receiver. Any week, DeAndre Hopkins is going to be out. Honestly, if you want to say top 16, I won't disagree with you. Even Greg Dorch in full PPR, impossible to ignore. Even though every single time I see him make a catch, I just imagine it's Rondale Moore and I get sad all over again. Is Rondale Moore even going to take over that role when he gets back? That's uh... like, that's, that's, just wait for that. Wait, wait till you have a Dorch more rotation going on with a with a with a with a point five seven a dot that's Ant- gonna be here to Ant- Antoine Wesley was keeping uh Rondo off the field last year and this year it's gonna be Greg 
freaking Dorch. Rondale did return to practice on Wednesday, so all you know, all sadness aside, I wouldn't go to Rondale or Dorch in the first week they're back until we can actually see what's happening. AJ Green's now hurt as well. That might actually be a benefit the way he's kind of been playing out there. But yeah, I guess we can give Kyler, you know, again, I've talked about Brady not playing well with his hurt receivers and Justin Fields. Like Kyler does deserve a little bit of benefit of doubt uh, with that as well. And obviously with the Hopkins suspension, Antoine Wesley's been out the whole year. I mean, they just don't have anyone out there to throw to. Obviously that is impacting everything as well. But two more teams to get through here. Seahawks sitting as one and two. Geno Smith, man, he's he, he's not great, but he's not terrible. Geno Smith is a below-average quarterback in the year 2022. Kevin, how's that feel? Well, I think it's making some people are are very happy about it. I mean, I'm not super happy about it. I guess we finally got a you know a nice DK Metcalf game, and it wasn't just some fluky type of performance, believe it. And he was number one for expected fantasy points last week. And it wasn't a situation where you, he was just getting spammed with targets. I mean, he had down the field in the end zone type of targets. Actually, I'm funny. I'm looking at the the top two guys in expected fantasy points last week uh, for PPR DK Metcalf, number one and Marquise Brown, number two, the uh, expected receptions, DK Metcalf was 6.6 and, Marquise Brown was 12.3. So that shows you kind of Gino, Gino, he's he's big balls. Gino Smith was out there throwing the ball down the field. Little tiny balls. Kyler Murray was not really helping us, helping (laughs) Kyler Murray's going to come after me after this one. Uh, But that was what's encouraging to me is that he's getting that sort of usage there. And at least in certain games, games that were shootout esque here, we, we saw them pushing the ball down the field. And if you think about this Seattle offense so far, just a weird game against Denver, which has a pretty good defense. They look good for the first half. Things kind of fell apart. San Francisco's a tough, really tough defense, and it didn't look great. This one was more like a bad defense, and, you know, they balled out a little bit here. So I think that's what we're going to hope for going forward fantasy-wise is matchup dependent. You can say, okay, let's let's start, you know, let's have DK Metcalf in there and hopefully get some fantasy goodness out of it in the right matchup. Nice note from former co-host of this lovely podcast. He's still on every Sunday night, but Dwayne McFarlane, he noted that uh, Pete Carroll basically said before week three, the Seahawks would be more up-tempo and Pete for once really wasn't lying. They snapped the ball 15 or more seconds on the game clock, 47% of plays when the game was within three points. They ended up running 69 plays after averaging 48 the first two games. So this was kind of the how we were hoping Metcalf and Lockett could get there. It's Gino isn't quite as terrible as everyone thinks and the team's a lot worse than usual and they're basically forced to throw the ball so far, so good with both those. And also just to add the DK Metcalf thing, he did he did catch that AJ Terrell shadow all game long. So I know Michael Thomas scored on Terrell twice in week one. Robinson got him. And these, these have all been tough touchdowns. And Metcalf had a touch, tough touchdown catch where Gino just put it the only place he could get it. So really do think we could be nearing it. Just a massive explosion for Metcalf. And maybe that comes this week here against the Lions. One of these guys, man, it was interesting. For the Lions to shut down Justin Jefferson last week, they actually had their number one corner, a Mani Aruar. Oh God, I messed Aruare. up. Aruare. Yeah, something like that. Week one, he checked AJ Brown, got massacred. He was out week two with a back injury. He came back week three. He actually tracked Thielen, and they had Jeffrey Okuda on Justin Jefferson. But if you watched it, like it was Okuda and a safety usually every single play. So I wonder if this week, if they do Okuda, if they basically give DK Metcalf the Justin Jefferson treatment they just did. And that leaves Tyler Lockett ready to attack Amani, who, again, has gotten roasted by A.J. Brown. He's gotten roasted by um, Adam Thielen last week. I do think this could be a sneaky Tyler Lockett spot. 
of course, every time you think it's Tyler Locker week, it's not Tyler Locker week, and every time, you know, the vice versa works as well. Rashad Penny, he is the RB1 right now. Travis Homer is on IR. Does that mean Kenneth Walker should get more involved? Of course not. We got to get DJ Dallas, you know, all of his touches. So Kenneth Walker, you know, went ahead, got him the second round, still buried on the death chart. This is a game now in Detroit. Pretty high game total, you know. Geno Smith, Jared Goff. Let's uh, let's bet let's bet on some overs, baby. But where are we actually ranking Penny? My first, you know, rankings run of Tuesday night. I went RB thirty nine. That feels more so like rest of the season. Probably I need to bump him up a little bit. But I still don't want to play Rashad Penny, even though he's in this role, because I know if they fall behind two scores early, it's going to be a DJ Dallas game. Overall thoughts on Rashad Penny specifically for this week. Yeah, I mean, so I think somewhere in the 30s is where we're looking at him for for this week. Okay, so this is what this is. I, this is my pet peeve, which I'll, I'm not pet peeve, but this is one of my uh, talking points in the NFL that I need to preach a little bit on this. And I've done this a few times before because I've been hearing a lot in people talking about Rashad Penny and his matchup, this and that. And people say, you know what? Rashad Penny's good. He's a good running back. He's a good running back. He's a good... Why are you drafting Kenneth Walker in the second round then? If you could have this good running back for nothing, why are you drafting James Cook in the second round? If you are just going to lean on Devin Singletary and he looks perfectly fine out there, why are we drafting Brees Hall if we have Michael Carter and others are in there? Like, can we stop doing this NFL teams. And then every year you have to explain why these guys are somehow difference makers that they're bringing in. Um, Yeah. There are lots of really good running backs. That's the key. There are lots of really good running backs out in the NFL and Rashad Penny is as good as, as any of them. So as long as he's targeted, as long as he's slotted in for having a big role, then he can produce just like a lot of other running backs in the NFL. Jalen Warren ripping off some big runs, spelling Najee Harris. It's everywhere, man. It is yes. uh, everywhere. Last squad, that is no stranger to doing exactly stuff like that. The San Francisco 49ers sitting at one and two. Kevin, like, is there a worse, like we talk about a system quarterback. What about like non-system quarterbacks? Is there a worse non-system quarterback in the NFL than Jimmy G? Like if every quarterback like had to, they just, like they weren't allowed to know the play. They had to get the snap and just roll with it. I think Jimmy G might be the worst quarterback in the NFL. 3.5 yards per attempt under pressure this season. Like, it's just wild because, like, we criticize – and I, I don't think it's a racial thing. I think it's just a way they play the position. But we'll look at someone like Lamar Jackson or, you know, a rushing quarterback, and they misfire from the pocket. And we're like, oh, my God, how do you miss that throw? But then we never look at someone like Jimmy G, where literally if the play isn't, like, 100% well and he gets knocked off his spot even for a second, the play is as good as dead. We don't really take that into account for these pocket passers. So – just man, that was such a dreadful performance. Where literally, you could argue Jimmy G's best moment was saving their team four points by jumping out the back of the end zone instead of actually throwing the pick six that the play ended up being. Our, you know, and I came here on this podcast last week and I said that Jimmy G objectively is better news than Trey Lance for the skill position players in San Francisco. I think we did see Jeff Wilson have great usage, really dominating that backfield. You know, well ahead of their under of their rookie Jimmy G. Are we going to see better games? That's just a dud. Or should we actually be concerned about what so far has been one of the worst passing offenses in the league? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a little bit of concern, but this is one of these stretches where it ends up happening. I mean, the thing is in the last two games, 21 pass attempts against Seattle, 29 pass attempts against Denver, believe it or not in those, in those two, in the two games that he's played, they're averaging. I mean, he's throwing 7.3 yards per attempt, which isn't, fantastic but it's not abysmal by by any stretch of it he's just not many attempts 
Uh, he's getting sacked more often than he normally does, which has been killing drives right here. And they haven't been running the ball well, so they haven't been putting him in a good position. And the thing is with Jimmy, like his efficiency, a lot of it or, or a decent amount of it has been driven by outperformance on third downs. And I think they failed to convert their first nine. I think they were 0 for 9 on third down against Denver before finally converting their last third down. And something traditionally they've been good at. Now, will he always be good at that? I don't know. But he was good in 2019. He was good last year at converting it. So I think that'll turn around. I think this is more a function of the running game is not playing that well. And they weren't able to convert any of these third downs. While on a play-by-play basis, the yards per attempt has been okay and not great. Um, And he throws in some ugly passes every now and again. So I'm not that concerned about it. It's just the most concerning thing, again, are those pass attempt numbers where the defense is proving to be legit, and that lowers the ceiling on all the different pass catchers. There's too many good pass catchers. Too many good pass catchers, too few attempts. Those are really the problems more than Jimmy G just being awful. Uh, I think he'll be fine going forward. I think the thing where people like myself and others come to slander Jimmy G from the most is just – the amount of easy, like the amount of LaVisca Chenault type touchdowns that this dude gets on the passes behind the line of scrimmage. I remember looking up, I remember, I remember looking at it in the off season, man, like since 2017, since Sean McVay got to the Rams and like Kyle Shanahan was there. I think that year as well, I think they might've came the same season. Top two offenses in the NFL and yards per attempt on passes behind the line of scrimmage, easily the Rams and the 49ers. So that was kind of the allure with, uh, you know, Trey Lance and all of his issues potentially passing the ball. I didn't even want to compare him to Jimmy G. It was like Nick Mullins averaged over eight yards per attempt in this offense. Why can't the number two pick? Unfortunately, we did not get a chance to find out. So hopefully, you know, Debo Samuel's going to get his regardless. They give him enough touches in the run game. He's just too damn good to be doing, uh, to be quiet for too long. Same thing with George Kittle. Brandon I think, I ex- one thing Adebo, though, on the run game that I'll say, I think Shanahan even said that they're not, like, catching anyone off guard this season with that. I mean, it was decently productive in the first game, so I don't think that's 100% of it, but I do think there is a little bit of a, like, everyone sees this coming and is prepared for it as opposed to last season. The first time around, a lot of teams were seeing that last year. Yeah, I would just think that, I mean, especially the second half of last season, like these weren't like these trick plays that Debo was getting the ball on. He's legitimately lining up at running back. And that's what's kind of made his success so wild. Because I, I know historically the Tavon Austins of the world and some of these players, you know, are averaging seven, eight yards per attempt. It's like, oh, why don't you give him the ball every play? Because you are catching him off guard. Debo just seemed unique because he really was just playing traditional running back. Either way, if we aren't getting, you know, just as many of those carries, that's fine. We'll take the targets more than anything. And he really has been smashing expectation with running the ball for so long. You know, just a little bit of regression, as the nerds might say. Kevin, again, 49ers Rams on Monday Night Football. Rams, two and a half point favorites. We talked enough about the passing game, but what about Jeff Wilson this week, man? Because he went out there and he's always going to lose a little bit to Kyle Juszczyk. He's going to lose a little bit to Debo in his own right, but over 70% of the snaps. He did lose a fumble at the very end of the game. It was a pretty bad pass from Jimmy G. Nice miracle. Jeff caught it in the first place. And hey, man, Jeff Wilson did kind of give their offense basically the only explosiveness in that game. So I'm not thinking that fumble is going to be held against them. I have Jeff Wilson as my RB21 this week behind Jacobs, behind Robinson, but ahead of guys like Claude Edwards-Hilaire, Zeke, and Ramondre Stevenson. What say you? Yeah, no, I think this is what we wanted to see, right? We talked last week about the fact that now with the backfield being thin enough, like did we reach that point where Jeff Wilson Jr. could get a fairly dominant workload because the only other guy is Jordan Mason here, who we really haven't seen at all. And I think we we saw that happen. I mean, Debo went up a little bit, but I think there's a cap to how much they're going to use Debo this year in the backfield. So this is exactly 
what we would have wanted to see from Wilson. Didn't have the overall offensive efficiency that we wanted to see. But, you know, Wilson can finish as a top 10 guy. I mean, who knows? Even if everything aligns correctly, like he's within his range of outcomes is probably even to be like a top six guy if everything went right where we couldn't say that before. And now it's thinned out enough for us to be able to say that. Everyone can follow Kevin on Twitter at Kevin Cole PFF. Loads of great stuff on PFF.com as well. There's showdown articles, the QB rankings, which usually gets, you know, in the ire of at least one fan base around the NFL. But you're always coming back the next week, Kevin. Always a great day. It'd be great. Anything else you want to get off your chest? No, no, that's about it. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, tune in Unexpected Points podcast, too, is another thing that I do a few times a week, especially the game reviews. And uh, yeah, no, that's it, man. I'm uh, just really, really enjoying this. Glad I had the chance to talk this out every week and, uh, you know, just just tout all my hits and forget about any of the misses that I talk about every week. Hey, win or learn, man. That's all we're uh, that's all we're doing here on the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And yes, Kevin and I back every single Wednesday going through AFC, NFC. You know, any points, any players you guys think we're missing on, let us know. We'll make sure to try, you know, add them in at some point. And I will try to, uh, you know, maybe stop talking about the shitty offenses as often uh, here. But you and know, J- what, Kevin? And Josh Jacobs and Josh Jacobs. Hey, we. Not enough Josh Jacobs talk, honestly, but, you know, we'll see. We got, we got a little more in the AFC pod, but all right. Thank you guys for tuning in. For Kevin, I'm Ian. Thanks for listening to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Until next time, take care, everybody. Peace.